so fast retake, and then we'll jump in. We've been looking at the story of God, and we've been following it along, okay? So go back through the story where we began. In the beginning, God created everything. He was before everything, but he created everything. In his creation was mankind, Adam and Eve in particular. Adam and Eve uh, were the first and only two. But because of their decisions to rebel, to choose self over God, to choose their own kingdom over God's kingdom, uh, sin entered the world. Death came with that sin. And so begins the story of history. At the same time, God made a promise to Eve that one of her children, a descendant, a seed from woman, so to speak, would be uh, a deliverer. Uh, and we, we learn more about who this person is as we go through the story of God. In fact, it's Christ. And we'll come to that day. But the whole book is pointing towards that or back at it in, in, in the entire book towards that moment. So we're chasing ahead towards that, that moment. And God works through people throughout all of this time, guarding this seed and carrying on this seed, this promise all the way down through a flood in protection through Noah on the ark and then carrying on the other side. It goes through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. Jacob, uh, his name was changed to Israel. Israel. Thank you. To Israel. Israel became a nation because he had 12 sons. Those 12 sons had families and families and families who became the 12 tribes. A nation ultimately known as Israel that was in bondage for some time in Egypt. But God raised up Moses who delivered them out and brought them back to the land that God had promised to them. In that land, they are facing uh, people there that are sinful people, pagan people. And instead of, as God told them, removing those people, they begin to intermingle with those people in this big, ugly cycle of uh, sin and rebellion against God, and then God raising up judges or rulers that would deliver them back to God, and then over time they drift right back, and then God would raise another, and on and on, until God moves to a time of kings, and that's because the people demand a king, they want a king, they want to be like everybody else, so God raises up uh, Saul, or gives them Saul, and then Saul is not what they'd hoped, shocker. So God chooses David for them, and as we talked last week, Saul begins to, you can go back and catch all this up, but the relationship between Saul and David, they're family, but at the same time, uh, they are not friendly. Dave is respectful to Saul because Saul is his father-in-law, among other things, but, and he's king, but Saul is pretty nasty to David. So today... That brings us to a point called wisdom and witchcraft, and I know that sounds wild, but we'll get into it. It's in the word here. Wisdom is a gift, right, until you need something, uh, need it for something, I should say. And then typically we tend to just, if, if we have it, we tend to take it for granted, like it's knowledge, like we've studied and we've prepared, and here's the answer. Um, but that might be fine unless you can't find the answer. And then the question comes, well, are you thinking I'm missing out on wisdom here or I just need to study a little bit harder? Or do you start thinking I need to go somewhere else for it? Like maybe these, quote, people have an answer or maybe they know spiritual exercises or maybe going all the way into the occult or witchcraft or that kind of stuff. We're going to look at it today. So grab your Bible, First Samuel chapter 28. Uh, 
And we'll read a little bit here, and then we'll jump in and, and, and cover this. So let me start at verse 10. It says, But Saul swore to her, to this witch, by, her, by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. Let me pray. Lord, your word is amazing. Your word is awesome. Your word is incredible. Your word is this terrific, perfect gift that you've given to us. And uh, I'm so grateful for it. I love it. And we come off uh, looking at passages like this a little bit shook. It's very bizarre. It's very strange. And maybe it even makes us question, like, okay, wait a minute. Like, does that happen? Is that what, what's going on? So, God, I pray that you give us all wisdom to understand what your word says, what, what your word not just says, but what your word tells us about you. Who, who, who are you? What can we know about you by what we see in this text? And I'm not saying we um, just... Out of like false humility, God, I, I mean we. Like I want to see you more clearly just the same, even though I've done the study and I'm holding a microphone. Lord, it's your word. You teach. I, I, I'm not trying to put my words in your mouth. I want your words in mine. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So most of you in the room probably at some point have been to Sedona. Uh, if you haven't, you may be familiar with it anyway. But they, you know, the stack rocks. Stuff I'm talking about where they get stack all these rocks. And uh, I know the first time I saw that, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. And uh, the person that I happened to be with was like, yeah, don't knock them over. And I was like, what? And they're like, you know, don't knock them over. Why don't you knock them over? Supposedly it's bad, right? Like it, they're spiritualist things. Like they've made these temples. Why, what, what makes them dangerous or bad to knock over? Is it like karma? Like bad thing gonna happen to you now because you kicked over kicked over rocks? Uh, you know, is there a curse? Is it something else? I mean, they're little temple, little idols almost, little temples, little idols in some way, shape, or form, um, put there by people who are seeking like spiritual guidance or spiritual wisdom or, or making a spiritual marker. And the truth is there's dozens of those. Y'all know this. You can look around and see it. There's dozens of these type things and people everywhere. In fact, there's one right down university over there right at Mill called the Spiritual Awakening Center. You can see the little person with the shocker thing all up the front. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, is it nonsense? Is it is it illusion? They, are they all charlatan, you know, people? Or is it real? Do they actually have power? Do they know the future? And more importantly, can they give you guidance based on what they see in your future? Is that really true? Um, today we're going to look at what happens. We already read it here. When a king consults a witch in a place called Indoor, it sounds a lot like a, you know, a J.R.R. Tolkien episode of the lord of the rings or clash of the titans of the witch of endor you know but but uh, this is a real person this is a historical event the person lived the events happened so two things to consider today this is not an outline just two things to consider today does witchcraft have power does it have power and is it wise to seek counsel there 
Two, two things to, to think through as we go on. Here's the one point. It's on the sheet. If you've got a sheet, fine. If you didn't, you can get one when you leave or you can get one now, whatever. But on the note sheet, there's one point I always give you just to kind of hold in your brain. When we feel like we can't gain wisdom from God, we may be tempted to consider spiritual sources. But the danger there is great. And it may even lead to death. Just need to know it. So look at uh, verse 1, 1 Samuel 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war. This is a repetitive thing, too, to fight against Israel. Now, David has left the land again, so Saul's alone, in a sense, to deal with these people. Verse 3, now Samuel had died. Who was Samuel? The prophet. That's right. He was the prophet. So Samuel, the prophet, the voice of God, in a sense, is gone. Samuel was not the only prophet, but Samuel was the prophet that communicated with Saul the most, and... Um, Usually did not have good news for Saul, but in any event, he's gone. And all Israel's mourned for him. They buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Why did he do that? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 18, it was actually a really good move on his part. Deuteronomy chapter 18, this is centuries before when the people were in the wilderness and they were coming in as Moses was leading them into the promised land. And Moses gave them the law. God gave them the law through Moses. But this is something that Moses said, hey, when you come into the land, in verse 9, Deuteronomy 18, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, so when you go across the river, don't learn, uh, you shall not learn to follow the abominable, sickening, disgusting, vile, that's just every horrible word you can think of in one, practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, child sacrifice. No one who practices divination. Divination is the word witchcraft or paganism. All right? Or tells fortunes. That, that's like a whisperer. Literally, the word is hiss. So somebody that hisses in your ear. Or interprets omens. That would be fortune telling. Like, I, I see this, and the stars are lined this way, so therefore this is going to happen, that kind of thing. Or a sorcerer, that's somebody who practices curses, like a voodoo person who puts curses on you. Um, or a charmer, we know what that is. You know, that's somebody who's got all the right words, and uh, maybe love spells type individual, try to cause somebody to love you or do what you want. Or a medium, that is somebody who evokes the dead. Somebody who could speak to ghosts, per se, or communicate with the dead. Or a necromancer. That's somebody who is a knower. That would be somebody who yokes themselves to a demon, so to speak, or a dead spirit in order to communicate. Um, or one who inquires, seeks, consults, or even worships the dead. That's a heck of a list. I mean, he didn't just say the occult. That's what we do. That, that is a heck of a list, but that tells you what they were walking into, right? It, it wasn't just violent people. That's what they were walking into. Leviticus 19, chapter 31, or verse 31, same laws, same person, Moses, who, gave, who God gave them through. He says, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, or so make yourself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Chapter 20 of Leviticus, verse 6, if a person turns to mediums or necromancers, whoring after them. Look at his language right there. Yep, that's what God says, whoring after them, because you belong to him. I will set my face against that person and cut him off from among his people. You're out. You don't belong here. You're not part of us. 
Verse 27, probably the harder one. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Now, this is a key phrase. Their blood shall be upon them. What that means is it's your own fault. You don't have to. I'm telling you now, you don't have to do this. If you do, you're going to die. So if you face death, your blood's on you. It's your own fault. You knew, you've been told that's going to happen. You chose to do it anyway, so you choose death. That, that's what that means. So back in our story in Second or First Samuel 28, verse 4, the Philistines assembled and they came and encamped at Shunem, that is a, in the valley of Jezreel. We talked about that last week, but just picture a big valley. And Saul gathered all of Israel and they camped at Gilboa. That's a mountain that is at the edge of the valley. So just imagine a big valley and there's an, a mountain you know, at the edge of it, not a huge one, a smaller than we have here. But a mountain at the edge. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines down in this valley, he was afraid, terrified. And his heart trembled. That's a heavy word, right? His heart is shaking. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, what does it say? The Lord did not answer him. Either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Samuel is dead. Nobody else is talking to him. Um, he doesn't have any vision from God. There's no, you know, dream or he he has no. They said no clue. Urim. There's these things called Urim and Thummim, and in Exodus it tells us that that they were a part of like they were to be added to the breastplate of Aaron, so the priests would use them. But honestly, there's not much in the Bible that's said about them. As far as what they were exactly, how they were used, they were used in some cases to determine the will of God. But was it rolling dice and saying, the way I imagined them, whatever they were, they were a way of saying, all right, we're throwing down the sticks, and whichever one lands, God, that's got to be you. But only the priests would do this for the most part. So there's not a lot of rules with them. We're not going down that road. We're not going to pretend like we know what they are. We're not going to assign superpowers to them. That's just as dangerous as everything else. Just know that that was actually a thing. And he's saying, so I got nothing from the priests. I got nothing from the prophets. I got no vision from God whatsoever. I, I, I'm, I'm clueless. Where do you turn for answers? You know, you can before you say to God, just think about it. Do you? Do you get them? Or do you just say, I turn to God for answers? Do you get answers when you turn to God? What happens if you don't? What do you do? You don't get answers from God. It's not always that easy. There's a uh, movie that is suspect called uh, Monty Python's Holy Grail. Most of you probably seen it. And there's a famously overquoted scene in that movie where these townspeople catch what they believe to be a witch, but they've just dressed somebody up as one. And they bring her to this priest to accuse her, and the scene goes like this. The priest says, there are ways of telling whether she's actually a witch. He says, tell me. What do uh, witches do? What do we do with witches? And they say, burn them. We burn them. And he says, what do you burn apart from witches? And they say, wood. So why do witches burn? They say, because they're made of wood. He says, good. So now, how do we tell if she's made of wood? They say, build a bridge out of her. (laughs) And he says, ah, ah, but you can make bridges out of stone, too, so we can't trust that. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a moment of quiet. And then he says, does wood sink in water? 
And they say, no, it floats. And he says, what also floats in water? And they say, a duck. (laughs) And he says, exactly. So logically, and they say, if she weighs the same as a duck, then she's made of wood. And then he says, and therefore, and they go, she's a witch. Burn her. Uh, Somebody once said there's a difference between genius and stupidity, and that is that genius has limits. You know, (laughs) I would argue that's pretty clear. And Saul is seeking wisdom here, but his honestly stupidity is limitless. Uh, in, in what he's doing. All his education, all his training cannot overcome his fear. This is the problem. Can't overcome his fear. It can't give him hope that he's looking for. He's facing these armies and he can't find hope. That's what he really wants. Is like, if I go, is it going to be okay? If this, is it going to be? can't find hope and he can't overcome his fear and he's looking for guidance from God he wants wisdom from God it's a gift from God but God won't say anything he doesn't hear anything from God he has no courage that no idea what to do how to address these armies that are surrounding him so he turns to a witch go ask a witch maybe she'll know verse 7 Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that would be the one who evokes the dead or ghosts, so to speak, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. That's a town that's at the foot of Mount Gilboa. So that just so happens, quote unquote, that there is a witch living right at the foot of this mountain that they're on. Um, I don't know if it's in the valley or opposite the valley, but it's right around that area there. So Saul, if you recall, I mentioned last week, had killed priests of God because David inquired of them what to do as he should. Saul had killed them. And now Saul's wondering why God's not speaking. Now he's going to a witch to inquire of her because he can't find out anything from Samuel. And these are the same people. That he had put out of the kingdom. He himself had put him out. And she probably, honestly, there's a lot of ideas and imagery of this woman, this haggard old woman with a, a wart and creepy hair and vicious teeth living in a cave in exile. That is highly unlikely. She probably was living, I, now this is me, my own study, but my own idea here, that she's probably living pretty well. She's probably pretty wealthy because in a lot of ways she's probably got a corner on the market. Think of it less like a horror movie and more like a drug kingpin. You know what I mean? She's undercover. Nobody knows who she is unless you know who she is. You know what I mean? She's just a normal person unless you know she's the hookup. It's more like that kind of thing, I think. And the reason I think that is because who told Saul where this woman was? His own people. They, he put them out. And his own people, his own high-ranking officials know about this woman. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think this is a weird, like, horror movie creepy cave moment. It's more like a weird horror movie, the person down the street in the house moment. Follow me? So uh, I think about this myself as a person who's seeking answers to a problem. Whether you're a believer or not, why would you trust witchcraft for guidance if you know it's dark 
And if you believe, it's wicked. Believer, whether you believe in God or you don't, like, why would that seem like a smart choice? Like, you know it's wicked. You know it's dark. Why would that be the place that you think you're going to get a positive, happy answer from? You know? And if you are a believer and you toy with it at all, in whatever form it comes, and I'm not going to list them, you know there's plenty of ways to toy with this kind of stuff. If you are a believer and you're toying with it, then you're acknowledging whether you admit it or not that the counsel that's found there is more useful than God's, or at least equal to it. You're at least looking at something and seeing that there's equal counsel to that as with God, or perhaps it's even better because what's actually happening is you're not content that God is not telling you something. You're not content with God being silent. But is there power in it? Okay, so is there power in it? Uh, I remember uh, the show Ghost Hunters that was pretty popular for a while, a couple of decades back. And um, in the show Ghost Hunters, there was an episode in New Orleans. And these two guys were sitting there uh, in the home of this uh, spiritualist voodoo type dude. Very nice, very expensive, very uh, Victorian home. And... The one man is sitting in a chair, and the other ghost hunter guy or whatever is sitting here. And the 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 guy they have a camera over to the side that's filming it, and uh, what that heat vision junk or whatever. And the guy sitting here would ask the ghost hunter a question, and then tell him something about his life that the guy didn't know. It was really bizarre the way that was going on, but I've seen all of that show before, right? But in the Heat video, no joke, you saw like this, and I'm not saying this is real, I'm just using an illustration. You saw this like his heat go up in the air, go over, go on that dude. You saw his body temperature go up, and then you literally saw that heat signature go back. He cooled back down. It went back on him. It was crazy looking to see. Now, you can do with that what you want to do with that. Uh, it might have been made up. It might not have. Who knows? But Saul is supposed to be connected with the Holy Spirit like we are. But instead, he goes to somebody who I firmly believe is connected to a different spirit. You understand? I, I, I think these people are not simply people in the simplest sense. There are people, but they do have powers. They do have power. Not all of them. Plenty of them are a joke. But if you think they're all that way, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I'll give you a bunch of reasons why that is. Not a bunch, but I'll give you a handful. Um, it's not them, whether it be the idols as well. It's not them in themselves. It's what's in them. All right. Ephesians six twelve. Paul said this, for we do not wrestle or war or battle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over present darkness. That's not just somebody that makes you feel bad. That's not just the reason you stump your toe. That's not just the reason why your car won't start. That, that, is, that is a battle between you and spiritual forces. And it's a war. It can't be a war if it's got no power. If it's powerless, how is that a battle? Let's just be honest. If it's powerless, how is that a battle? He says against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's not talking about people. That's talking about spirits. They have no power. 
It's ridiculous. Michael Heiser wrote a book that's pretty challenging to read. It's a wild book talking about spiritual forces, but he says this in it. What ancient idol worshipers believed was that the objects they made, the, the idols that they made, that they were inhabited by their gods. This is easily proven from ancient texts besides the Bible. There are accounts, for example, of idols being destroyed. There's no sense of fear in those accounts that the God was dead. Rather, there was only a need to make another idol. We, we get swept into looking at it and thinking, well, it's just a stick. It's just a whatever. Well, in itself it is. He goes on. He says, the denial that other gods and little g gods exist, which he's talking about spiritual forces that are being worshipped as gods. We say demons to make it simple. But the denial that other gods exist insults the sincerity of biblical writers and the glory of God. Listen to this because this is powerful. How is it coherent to say that verses that extol the superiority of Jehovah above all other gods, and there's tons of them, like he's the greatest of all gods, are, are they really telling us that Jehovah is greater than beings that don't exist? Where is God's glory in passages that call other gods to worship Jehovah? And he puts that in there. Where, When the writers don't believe that those things are real. If they don't think those are real, why would they say that? Were the writers inspired to lie or to hoodwink us, to give us theological gibberish? He said, to my ear, it mocks God to say, you're greater than something that doesn't exist. So is my dog. That's what he says. Among the beings that we all know don't exist, there is none like Yahweh. SpongeBob SquarePants and Spider-Man are about the same. This reduces praise to a snicker. Why would the Holy Spirit inspire such nonsense? All right, so we have to be careful that we don't race away to say it's all just junk, it's all just garbage, it's all just lies, it's all just make-believe. Because you're robbing God of something when God says, I'm greater than that. You follow that? Okay, so let's go back in real quick. We'll finish up. Verse 8 says, So Saul disguised himself and put on uh, other garments and went. So he dresses himself up because he knows. Why has he got to hide, right? He put these people out, right? So he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine or consult for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever. So see, he's literally telling you, talk to a spirit and then go get somebody. She's a medium, so she's going to connect. Um, and bring up for me whomever I shall name. The woman said to him, excuse me, surely you know what Saul has done. She doesn't realize it's him. How he's cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for me to bring my life, bring about my death? Basically, modern day language, are you a cop? You know, that's what that is. Drug world. Are you a cop? You know. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. What the world? <laughs> I mean, the, as the Lord lives, the Lord won't answer Saul. That should give you a big bell right there. That should be a big flag. But how about the arrogance of this guy to bring God into this moment and actually guarantee this witch's safety from sin based on God, who won't even talk to him? This guy, a piece of work. Verse 11. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? Okay, who do you want? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, screamed. And the woman said to Saul, 
Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So that tells us three things right there really quick. That tells us three things really quick. First of all, she recognized Samuel. I mean, she wouldn't know who Samuel was. Samuel had just died recently. Everybody in the whole world knew who Samuel, or the whole Israelite world knew who Samuel was. So she would have for sure known him, and she recognized him. So whatever he looked like, in a sense, he was recognizable, because she knew who he was. And the moment she recognized who he was, she knew who he was. She knew who Saul was the moment that happened. It also tells us she is absolutely terrified, which means he is recognizable, but he's also very different. Maybe very powerful looking. I don't know. And then third, and probably most important, it doesn't appear she was actually expecting to see Samuel. It appears that this moment shocking even her. So maybe this woman was a bit of a charlatan. Because she's going to do her thing and there's actually somebody here. And it's actually who she's yelling for. And it scares her to death. And the reason is the dead don't come back. There are spirits with insane power. We just talked about that. But there's no dead person with that power. That, that does not happen. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed once for man to die. And after that comes judgment. That's the chain of events. No, die once. Come back a few times. Die another time. Come back however you want. No, no, no. It's a chain of events. You die and then you face judgment. In Luke 16, I don't have it, but Jesus, you can look at it in your own time. Jesus talks about the dead and the place of the dead where you have a place where there is paradise and across a great chasm there is a place of torment um, where people are awaiting judgment. They don't come back. They can't come back. They won't come back. First Samuel 28 verse 13, the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming out of the earth. She doesn't know what else to call what she's seeing anyway. He said to her, what is the appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up. Now, pause there a minute. That's strange. I see a God coming out, an old man. Like in our brain, that's we don't put that together. Uh, but in the language here, you're talking about a person of great power and wisdom. I'm stretching here a bit. But think more like a, a powerful wizard from her point of view. Okay, from her point of view. Coming out of the earth. Um and where was I? He's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed his face to the ground. He paid on. So Saul recognizes, based on her description, yep, that this is him. Some say this was not Samuel, that this is an evil, wicked spirit per- posing as Samuel. But Saul knows who he is. And based on what goes on here, I don't agree with that. I think it is him. Does God actually then use witches? Does he use one here? Or did she have the power to defy God and bring this person up? Or did a demon have the power to defy God and bring this person up? No, no, and no, and yes, God did it. This is a time where God is using a witch, in a sense. But let's look what happened. First of all, it terrified her, and you'll see it condemns Saul. Terrifies her, and it condemns Saul for a fact. Let's just take a minute. Does God ever do that in other times? What about with Job? Job's the hero, but what did God say that made the whole book of Job happen? To Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Can like it or not, but that's what happened. Balaam, we talked about him a few weeks back, right? God used Balaam to bless Israel, even though he was a wizard that was called to curse Israel. 
in fact, one thing I always try to remember, if God doesn't use sinful people, who's he got? You know what I'm saying? If God doesn't use sinful people, you tell me who he's got to use. And only thing we look at is which level of sin we think he shouldn't fool with. You know? Sovereignty is sovereignty. He rules all and he uses all, even, quote, unquote, the devil. And that's from his word, not from Dave. Okay? That's from his word. The fact is here, though, this is a very unique moment. You don't see this happen all the time. Samuel was sent back by God to restate what he already stated. And the only thing he adds to it now is a date of death. I don't think I'd want to know that. You know what I mean? This is not a case of somebody being called up from the dead. Samuel appears. He doesn't return. He didn't come back to life. This was something God ordained in order to deliver a message and then to display that even death, even the dead, cannot speak apart from God's direction. You can go to her. You can go to him. You can go to that one. You can go to this one. But the dead only speak if I say so. Dead only speak if I say so. And only one has ever returned from the dead. I know Lazarus, but Lazarus was raised by the one who returned from the dead. Only one has returned from the dead, and that's Christ, proving himself to be God. Let me ask you this. Do you know who you pray to? Do you know who you pray to? Maybe you use Jesus' name, but you never really met the guy. I don't know. Maybe it's time for you to stop consulting everyone else and realize, you know what? There is only one who gives wisdom. It only comes from one because only one has conquered the grave and knows it all. Only one. That's Christ. He's the only one. Maybe it's time to start consulting with him. And I can tell you this. When you know who he is, when you start consulting with him, you'll know that you're connected to him. And you want to know how you'll know you're connected to him? Not because you'll know your future, but because you'll know you're a sinner. You want to know when you're connected to the Holy Spirit. You want to know when you're connected to God. When you start feeling convicted about the sinner that you are, you will know you're, you're connected to him. And the first response to move towards salvation is to repent. You don't need me to have an altar call. You don't need me to do any of that. Do it right now. Do it yourself. All you got to do is tell him, Lord, I, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm hurting for the sin in my life, and I'm sorry. I repent. I give it to you. I trust you. I believe you are who you say you are. I can't explain it all. I don't know how to define you and all these things, but I trust you. I trust that the cross was for me. I trust that the grave was for me. Conquering that grave was for me. Tell him, do that. You don't have to have a moment. Do it anytime you want. But for those of us who follow the Lord, this moment with this witch also shows us the battle is real, y'all. The battle is real. The war is real. Listen. If we do face them, or I'm not, not if, we will face them if we're advancing the gospel. You need, to, you need to understand that. If you're advancing the gospel, you will face them because we're not neutral. We're in a war. You're invading. If you never face them, then guess what? You might be sitting, might be on the sideline. 
Just saying. Luke 8, verse 28. I'm almost done. Luke 8, verse 28 says, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him, this, de- this man possessed full of demons. And he said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. This is such an encouraging passage because it tells you before Jesus says a word that no matter how many demons are present in this person, they are terrified of him. Terrified of him. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of this man. Verse 30 goes on to say that Jesus then asked him, what's your name? And he said, Legion, for he had many demons in him. Verse 31, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. They're terrified of him. Uh, That's who's in you. That's who's in you. That's Christ in you if your faith is in him. But that if they came to him, even in terror, they will come to you. They will. Verse 15, we'll finish this. First Samuel 28, verse 15 says, Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress for the Philistines. I love this, by the way. Samuel, when he says, Why have you disturbed me? It doesn't mean he woke him up. It means he was happy where he was. Like, I'm happy, I'm happy where, I'm at, where I am. I almost, feel like, I almost feel like Samuel's probably going, God, you want me to what? Him again? I thought we were done with that. <laughs> you know, that's just me. Okay, that's not in the Bible. But anyway, I feel like Samuel's like, God, this guy. Saul answered, I'm in great distress. The Philistines have come to war against me, and God's turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, because of that, I summoned you. I love that. God won't answer me, so I called you uh, to tell me what I should do. Why hasn't God answered him? God already told him long time ago, you are rejected as king. You are no longer king, bro. Yet he continues to control the throne. God said, David is my king. David will be my king. And instead, Saul's hunting the guy all over the valley, trying to kill him. Verse 16, Samuel said, why then do you ask me? What are you asking me for? Since the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy. I love that. He said, what are you asking me for? I'm with him. You think I'm going to tell you something he didn't say? Before you coming to me, I'm with him. And the Lord has done to you exactly as he spoke by me. He did exactly what I told you he was going to do. He tore the kingdom out of your hand. He's given it to David. I love the sickening part of this for me. I do the same thing. I get answers from God or I get words from God. I, I, you know, and, and I'm, I'm pretty clear that this is what God wants, but I don't like it. Or I'm not comfortable with it. Or it's not what I want to hear. So I try to kind of come at it from another way, come at it from another way, get four or five more people to give me counsel or direction, get four or five other people to tell me what I need to do or don't need to do. Um, granted, Saul's gone to an extreme here by seeing a witch. In verse 18, he says, because you didn't obey the voice of the Lord, didn't carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. We talk about that. You can read it in your own time. The Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover. The Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. You're going to lose this battle. And tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. What does that mean? Dead. The Lord will give the army of Israel also in the hand of the Philistines. Chapter 31 tells how that happens. I won't read it. You can read it in your own time. So, did Saul go to be with Samuel in the presence of the Lord, per se? Some people argue that because of this language here. Um, 
I've leaned into that camp and out of the camp. We don't really know. That's not for us to know. But I think simply it meant he's going to die. I don't think it meant more than that. He's going to be dead just as well. And in fact, one other verse, First Chronicles 10, 13 says, Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord had put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David. Point to remember, said it already. When we feel like we cannot gain wisdom from God, we may be tempted to consider spiritual sources or other directions, but there is great danger there. It may even lead to death. So, how do we determine God's will when he's silent? I'll end with this. This is from uh, uh, Richard Henry Richard Blackaby, Spiritual Leadership, but it's a great statement. It says this, determining God's will is not a matter of merely compiling a list of pros and cons. It's a matter of relating to a personal God who's more than willing to guide his people. When you struggle to make decisions, you need to immediately examine your relationship with God. God is perfectly capable of communicating with you. If you are not hearing from God, you need to discover the reason why. The most important thing you can do in such situations is to get alone with God in an unhurried, uninterrupted time until you clearly know that God has spoken and what he wants you to do. This is the key. Waiting on God is not a passive activity. It's one of the most strenuous, agonizing, faith-stretching times in your life. And if you've ever done it, you know that's the truth. Waiting on God is not a passive activity. Activity. All right. Stand up with me, if you will. We're going to finish. Uh, I'll give you a couple of things you can do practically. Um, and then we'll sing a, uh, one more song and spend some time hanging out. But if, if you're getting no answer from God, listen, if you're getting no answer from God, first, are you looking in the right place? I mean, that, that seems like an obvious statement, but I mean, I'm be honest. Are you looking in the right place if you're not getting the answer from him? Do you know his word? Do you know it? Do you feel like his Holy Spirit helps you understand it? That, that's where I'd start. And then second, he may have answered you already. No is an answer. Silence is an answer. You need to be okay with that. And then the last thing is be patient and wait. Be patient and wait. Um, he knows what he's doing, right? Let me pray. Lord, your word, again, is awesome. I leave it in your hands. It's your word. Lord, I pray you continue to write it on our hearts, put it in our mouths, and help us glorify you with it. Um, And I ask these things in Christ's name.